He's a friend. He's a father in the house. He's a lead elder in Josh Jen. But he's also an apostolic gift to us. So, um, not a guest speaker. He's one of us. But he's an apostle who's come to build into the foundations of the church uh, with us. So, will you open your hearts and your minds and your souls to him? Um, I'm just going to quickly pray. Lord, will you open the eyes of our hearts? That's a supernatural thing. And we ask you to do something supernatural in each one of our hearts this morning as Andrew speaks. Um, Yeah. Sow the seed deep so that uh, your word will bear much fruit. Amen. It's uh, lovely to be with you guys and so many new faces and a lot of old faces. (laughs) But it's super cool to uh, just meet a whole lot of new people today and really is lovely seeing what Jesus is doing among you guys. So, thanks Andrew. So, on Mother's Day, what was about three weeks ago, I woke up, I had a pre-prepared and... I woke up quite early, I normally do, and I felt the Lord speaking to me a word about mothers. What do we learn about God from mothers? So I prepared this preach in about 20 minutes, which is often the case with me, and, um, and, and preached it. And there was something of the life of the Lord on it that I just feel, and I, I can't shake it. We were long past Mother's Day, but I feel like it's something that I just needs to be birthed into the fabric of who we are. Because I think there's such an attack at the moment in the world upon you know, just even the way God made families to work, uh, there's just this massive onslaught on what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman, what it is to be everything is under onslaught at the moment. And so I want us to look at this together and learn, what do we learn about God through moms? Because the Bible says that all creation reveals the glory of God. And so we'll actually learn a bit about moms from God too, because actually when you see God properly, you'll actually learn what it is to be a mom. And actually... At the same time, we learn how then we relate to one another within the family of God. So, and I want to say this because, you know, we are called to influence the world. We're called, not influence, we're called to bring the gospel to this world. And one of the ways we do that is by being a light, by looking like God in our relationships. There's so lack of hearing of the love and the, the, the family that's here. And that, that's, that should be normal Christianity. Church is not something you go to just on a Sunday and you listen to some preacher. Church is the family of God. It's the place where you're cared for and loved and nurtured. And, and, and we're supposed to get this so right that the world would look at us and go, hey man, everything we thought was right is wrong because we're seeing something different in you. But the problem is, Jesus said, if the light in you becomes darkness, how terrible will that darkness be? And so there is a real onslaught on the thinking of our basic Christian belief right now because Satan is trying to get into the churches and into our belief system because if he can shape our belief system, he'll ultimately corrupt us. And if we corrupted, what hope does the world have? So there is a real attack. You know, the two ways the devil goes at the church, persecution, which is obviously governments come down on us. And the, the more sneaky, dangerous way is infiltrating us with people that talk junk, that make it look like it's clever God's gospel stuff. And there's a lot of that in our generation. So um, let's look at moms quickly, and maybe just a backdrop to give you a real broad backdrop on this. Um, with this increase of evil, how many of you think we're living near the end of it all? Like the earth is winding down quickly, it's dying, it's groaning. Uh, we're seeing uh, the nations beginning to rile up against God. There's an anti-Jesus kind of vibe like I've never experienced. When I was younger, uh, everyone thought they were Christian. Now it's like a swear word to be a Christian. In England, one of the things they'll often ask you to in job interviews is, what is your belief system? 
And if you're a Christian, there's a very good chance you're not going to get the job now in the UK. Because you might say something that would get onto social media that would cause a huge uproar and a ruckus. The business would get penalized at cancel culture. You'd be the cause of it. So Christians are increasingly on the back foot and really being bullied into a lot of our beliefs are now seen as terrible and evil and, uh, and dangerous. And the Bible said that this would happen. It's not a surprise to God. He said that this is exactly how it's going to go down, that it's going to get harder in the end, and that a large portion of the Christian faith will actually compromise. That, that like the Jews who were compromised, so the church will find a massive degrees of compromise. And so we have to be careful because he's coming back soon. And those that remain faithful will hear well done. But those that were compromised, man, you don't want to be on that side. So uh, one of the things the Bible says is going to happen is that this, it'll become an antichrist system through the governments and laws and culture of our world. And antichrist meaning uh, literally fighting against Christ and his ways. And many of you know the concept of 666. I think everyone thought with COVID and the vaccines that we were right in the thick of it. Um, and there were lots of stories about vaccines and this is the mark and all sorts of weird stuff that uh, we jumped the gun on. Christians jumped the gun on. But the reality of it is there is a sense that we are heading towards uh, what the Bible calls a time of global influence where Satan will have influence over the whole globe. And over much of the church. And in Revelation 3, verse 13, verse 18, could you put that up for me? Uh, John is writing about our day, really. And he says this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast. For it is a man's number. His number is 666. So he's talking about this global system that will infiltrate the world. And actually, it's going to take a bit of insight to understand what's going on. But there is a, there's a number behind this. Uh, and the number being 666. And it talks about taking that number on your wrist or on your forehead. Um, and if you take the number of the mark of the beast, you will then be outside of the kingdom of God. And a lot of Christians are really scared that there's going to be this little microchip and there's all sorts of things about that. I don't know about a microchip, but I can tell you this. Historically or biblically, the Bible talks about your wrist being your actions and your forehead being your thinking. So really what this indicates is that the devil will begin to affect the way we think and see God. And then the way we live out our lives. And so to take of the mark as the beast, I don't think it's going to be, it might be, but it's, that's not going to be the problem. The problem is going to be the thinking and the actions that go with the whole system. Um, and then the Bible tells us interesting, if you could put it back up, that says there, this is going to take a bit of interesting, it's a bit of a challenge to work out, but the number of this is 666. And it says, for it is man's number. It's an interesting thing. 666 is man's number. What does that mean? In the Bible, every number has a value system. Obviously, John is writing here under persecution in Rome, so he's using a little bit of code language that Christians need to use their brains to understand what's going down. The number of six in the Bible is the number of man. So man was created on the sixth day. So, And he actually tells us it is man's number. So six is the number of man, but now you've got six Six and six, three sixes. So what does three mean? And, and, and that's an important thing to understand. Firstly, let me see if I want to say anything more about, um, yeah. So three, and three is a number of wholeness. God is a trinity. 
three in one. So three is a number of completeness or wholeness. And so in Revelation 4 verse 8, you actually see some beautiful things. If you could put it up for me, Revelation 4 verse 8. You actually see when we go to heaven, John sees these angels worshiping and these beings worshiping God. And they sing in in the third last line there. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Why three holies? Because God is completely holy within himself. So the fact that it's three times tells us that God is absolutely the, 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 is the completeness of holiness within himself. Now you've got three sixes. So you've got man three times. Man, man, man. And it speaks actually about a system that uh, ultimately roots, it roots itself in human dignity, human worth, human fullness, human glory. Humans becoming completely whole within themselves and autonomous from God. In other words, we would, be, we, we would be able to rule this world, rule our lives, live our lives completely separate from him. As he is a complete unit, we in our humanness become complete in ourselves. Does that make sense? In some ways it speaks of man that is full potential, independent of God. And, and obviously um, we, we're talking here about, um, at the end of the day, a complete system of government and thinking. Of what man can produce without God. So when it says 666, it's human, it's actually your human rights based concepts. It is man finding his own worth and his own dignity. How many of you know that worth and value is a huge thing in our generation? <laughs> uh, you know, I, who I am. Is huge in our generation. And it doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It matters what I feel is right. What I believe is right. It is man. And that will become a global system entrenched in culture, in thinking. You'll learn it at universities. You'll learn it at schools. You'll learn it everywhere. As Satan indoctrinates you to think 666. Man ultimately understands things and can get this right without God. Eventually, it attacks the Bible. The Bible, either it distorts the Bible to make it say what we wanted to hear. And the Bible says, at the end times, there'll be a great number of people who gather, a great number of teachers to tell them what their itchy ears want to hear. So you're going to start to find in the church, we will find teachers that tell us about our worth, our dignity, our value. How we can do this without God. How, in some ways, God may... And most in the church couldn't say God got it wrong, so they'll just distort the language of God, the concepts of God, the culture of God, and the culture of the kingdom. And the kingdoms of the world then begin to infiltrate the kingdom of God. And we read God through the lens of our human culture rather than through the Bible, which is how he reveals his culture. Does that make sense? So we're in the thick of it. You guys and and myself as well, we're in the thick of this time. And I mean, you've only got to... Look at the news and look at what's happening to realize it's, it's really happening so much. And so much of how people and sometimes how we think can be affected by this. Because the Bible says Satan will lead the whole world astray. In other words, none of us will be perfectly aligned with God. All of us will have some degree of corruption in our understanding in these matters. Me too. We know in part. We prophesy in part. The, the key thing is that I've... I'm not perfectly healthy, but I want to be healthy enough that I'm not going to die. <laughs> so there's a point that it's, okay, you haven't got perfect, but it's okay. And then there's a point where it's not okay anymore. And the difficulty is I think the not okay is becoming the norm 
verses. So, and, and really this thing of man's potential, independence of God, man defining right and wrong, is rooted in right in the, the, the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3 verse 5, when Satan came to Adam and Eve, and he, he literally tempted them. They were perfect, made in the image of God. Everything was good. And he said to Eve, you know, you know, why don't you eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden? And she says, well, God told us I can eat of all the fruit, but not that one. And he said, Satan says to her, for God knows that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So a few things that happen. He says, God's a bit threatened that if you really, if you eat of that fruit, you will see, you'll be as clever as him. You'll be like God. You'll, you'll, your eyes will be opened. You'll be able to see for yourself how things should work. You won't lean into his wisdom. You'll lean into your own wisdom. You won't, if God says it's right, you will decide for yourself whether that's right or wrong. And you'll be like God. You'll be his equal. You won't need to remain beneath him and under his rule and reign. You'll begin to live your life as though you were independent of him. And then the last thing there, knowing good and evil, you will define morality. You'll define right and wrong. You'll define everything. You'll, you'll define it around your humanness, 666. So when we bring that into, it's ultimately man's rebellion against God that started in the garden. That will culminate in the end times where man will become entirely separate and independent of God. And parts of the church will buy into that and twist the word of God so that we will be like the world. We will simply be an echo of what the world is saying. And we'll no longer remain true to what the Bible has taught and what Christians have stood for for thousands of years will be compromised in the end time. So this is where we're at right now. This is the world that you live in. That's why you've got to be careful what you read. You've got to be careful what you listen to in terms of podcasts because the Bible says to be a great number of teachers. He'll tell you what you want to hear. In other words, it's kind of itchy ears. It kind of, have you ever had an itchy ear? Have you ever had an itchy ear and not been able to scratch it? It's like, And so it, it, we've got to be, we really do have to keep our wits about us as we grapple with these concepts. And so to give you an idea of this attack on the Bible and this attack on God, a friend of mine, he's unsaved, I, I, he, he surfs, I surf in Malpos, that's where I live, and uh, he's a, a guy that I know in the water, and he's a militant anti, anti-Christian guy. Like even this morning he was going at me on Facebook. And um, we're friends in the water, and every now and again I'll get into this conversation with him, and it's like a three-hour battle um, where he's just going at everything. He posted this on his Facebook uh, a few years, ah, probably a few weeks ago. And I just thought it'd be great to look at it because it's such a great picture for me of what I'm talking about. Could you put that picture up for me? So obviously he's posting on his Facebook anti-Christian stuff. And he says, is it ever right to stone a bride to death because she's not a virgin? And there's a picture of a pregnant woman. Now, I would say, is it right if a girl is pregnant and on her wedding day it's found out that she's pregnant already not from her husband? or her, Is it right to kill her, to stone her to death? Well, God thought it was. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 22, 20, 21. If I have it, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and then there the men of her town shall stone her to death. And then... The bottom right, the Bible, Bronze Age, baloney. 
It's a great argument. I mean, it does seem pretty gnarly. I mean, a girl's pregnant on a wedding day, and it's like, okay, the men drag her to the streets of the city or her father's house and, and, and stone her to death. And obviously the thinking then is, you see, you're believing a book that's written by a bunch of crazy shepherds that don't know what they're talking about. It's in another time warp. It's obviously wrong, and therefore the Bible is Bronze Age baloney. This type of thing will come out, and, and how do you answer that? I did, I'd answered him. I said this. Well, the simple explanation is that God values human sexuality as a sacred, beautiful thing to be treasured and treated as holy, kept for one partner in marriage. This may seem strange to a generation who believe they can live as they want to without extreme consequences. But from my perspective, having lived as I wanted to for many years without boundaries and paying later with the destruction of my soul by my actions, I found that God was wise with his boundaries and I found genuine life once I began to live within them. This law, implying that sexual promiscuity, uh, while seemingly fun and innocent, is actually extremely soul-destroying and damages humanity internally so badly that an extreme safeguard or law is given to protect human dignity and value. In other words, human sexuality is such a sacred thing. It's such a holy thing. The consequence of just throwing it away and giving it away cheaply is so great from God's perspective that to do it, the consequence should be death. And so, because God wants us to be like Him, He says, I'm going to put an extreme law down to teach you how sacred this is. We say, how dare God tell me what I do with my sexuality? Who does God think he is? But God's saying, you don't understand that if you give away this part of yourself, you give away something that is holy and sacred and beautiful, and you destroy my image in yourself. You destroy yourself. You end up with baggage and brokenness that corrupts and destroys your soul. You didn't realize that, but this law is put there to show you that. And we know that Jesus ultimately came and died on the cross for pregnant women on their wedding day. He died to show the consequence of sin and death. God so loved the world. You see, we're just so dumbed down to this stuff. It's so in our face in Hollywood. It's so pretty much first date in Hollywood. Any movie you watch, it's let's get into bed with each other. But God says, no, this is a sacred thing. You give this part of yourself away. You give away something that is beautiful and sacred. You can't just take it back. You could jump from that into, I mean, right now, the whole thing of who am I, I was, you know, gender reveals and transsexual and LGBT and, and all these different things. Who am I? Well, I feel like I'm a, a girl trapped in a guy's body. And, and, and if I feel like that, then who is God to say otherwise that he put me in a woman's body or man's body? And so I will define who I am outside of what God says. I will live independently of God. I will shake my fist at God and say, how dare you tell me who I am? But God says, but I made you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I made you in my image. I'm not confused. You are. 
I made you beautiful. Why do you despise who I've made you to be? But we shake our fist at him. How dare God? Who does he think he is? And one of the most dangerous things that come at us is the roles of gender within the kingdom of God. You see, those for most Christians are pretty, we know that. But the more dangerous ones are the ones that come and say, what is a woman in the kingdom of God? What is a man in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? How does that work out within the kingdom and the community of faith? How does it work out in marriage? And so the dangerous thing with that one is it's a lot more subtle. And based in human rights, how many of you know that right now strength is a bad thing in culture? (laughs) Advantage is a bad thing in culture. So if a man, and, and I have to say this, didn't you want to come stand next to me? MC's not here, my wife. She's, she's, about a, she's actually probably a little bit taller than most ladies. If it comes down to a fight, physically, <laughs> well, let's make it an arm wrestle. In reality, who's going <laughs> to, the, ch- the reality of it is, there are some ladies that will probably beat me, but generally, generally, God made men generally stronger than women for a reason. We reflect something of what he's like. God made women weaker for a reason because that also reflects something of what he's like. And in God's economy, weakness is not a bad thing. In fact, weakness sometimes shows who he is and what he's really like. More than strength does. So, so we, we get confused, and then we start to challenge, and there's so much of that right now, even in our city, as churches are tearing and dividing over these matters. And these are matters that have stood in the church for thousands of years, and yet today they're under attack, and it is in the end times, this corruption of what it is to be in the kingdom of God. So, and, and in James 3.16, and I want you to see this, the Bible tells us, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Let me just break that down quickly. I don't have too much time here. But jealousy and selfish ambition is basically wanting what God has given to somebody else. Why should he have something more than me? And where you find that, you start to find disorder. What is disorder? The order that God has put things in breaks down. And we become rebellious and we create our own order based upon what we think it should happen. And then with that, you'll find every evil practice. As soon as this starts to creep into the church, disorder and every evil practice starts to creep into the church. So the church is corrupted from within over a simple matter of why should a, I mean, let's be honest. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm married to a woman. I've been married now for 20 uh, 20-something years, 27 years, I think it is. And um, why should I lead in the community? I, you know, if you had to look down at my marks when I was at school, my, what, what the government and schools would have said in terms of intelligence, I was like in the E-class, pretty much. And an E-class in my generation meant you were the dumb kids. When I was like in standard six, which is grade eight, most of my friends were like 23 
And they were also there with me. <laughs> you don't have that today. They would never define children around this. But that's, that, that, I mean, I literally scraped through my trick. My wife got like C's and B's. She's in some ways surpasses me in terms of certain areas. Why should I lead her? Let's be honest. I mean, ladies are sometimes far more capable than men in many areas. Huh? Far more. <laughs> because in the kingdom, we don't, build, we don't build a kingdom based upon what I can do. We base the kingdom upon what God says he wants. <laughs> so let's break this down and then look at mothers because I think mothers is again something that is also I mean massively under attack it, it's, it's something that I think is and, and I think mother, mothering is a beautiful thing in the house of God and I want to say this every single girl if she sticks around in the church long enough even if she doesn't have natural children will be a mother and we'll look at that just now you don't need children of your own or even adopted children to be mothers, because in the kingdom of God, in the household of God, you have a role to play within the community of faith. You don't need children of your own to play that role. In some ways, what you did, you're not a mom yet, are you? But actually, you mothered some children last Sunday. And they learned about God through you as you acted and, and played the role of a mom in that scenario. Not, are you married yet? To children, they learned about mothering through you. Does that make sense? So let's look at this. And let's look, you know, the Bible tells us that God made the world and it was awesome and everything was good in its place. And then God made man. And uh, man was made in the image of God. There was no Eve. It was just Gar, just Adam, just the guy. And then God said for the first time, it's not good. It's the first time in creation. Nothing sinners, no sin has broken into the world yet. It's the first time God looked at his creation and said, it's not good. I've got a, I've got a guy here. Was not good. <laughs> this is this is an incomplete picture. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And 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 there's no one here with him to reflect what I'm like properly. He's incomplete within himself. And so in Genesis two twenty one and twenty three, the Bible says, "This is where we get uh, women and mothers from." Can you put it up for me, Genesis? So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, for she was taken out of man. Okay. So you've got this picture of God puts this Adam to sleep. He opens up his side and he takes a part of Adam. This translation says, I think it says man's ribs. Some translations say man's side. And the reason for the different translations is we don't, we don't actually know what the word means. The Hebrew word here is one of those ambiguous words. It's used in various places. And sometimes they don't actually, it can mean rib, it can mean side. It could mean a lot of things. The word is tzela in the Hebrew. And it, from the New American Standard Concordance of the Bible with Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek dictionaries, it literally says it could be a rib, a side chamber, or a side room. In 1 Kings, for example, 6 verse 5, the Bible, uh, the Bible tells us about it. I think it was one of the kings who built this thing, and he built a side room or side chamber, and that word is tzela. Okay, so it, it, it means, a, 
it, the, the, the word has, a, has kind of a curve. It's kind of written into the word, a curved thing or a round thing. So it's a translator to say, well, it must be rib. But we know it's probably more than a rib because Adam didn't say she's bone of my bone. He said she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So it, 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 there is a sense that it wasn't just a rib. There was something more that was taken from Adam. And then out of that part, a woman was made. In other words, and, and this gets debated, how does this work out? Because the Bible doesn't give us, somebody said it's not a science, it's not a science book. It's, it's telling us in broad strokes what went down. But the bottom line was man in himself wasn't actually complete. And interesting. If you think of the concept, and this is just some guys go there. I'm not saying this is true, but it's a possibility. The concept of a side chamber or room, which is actually normally how this word is used. If you break it down, what what if, and we don't know, but what if Adam within himself had, some people say, had a womb. And God took him to sleep, took a side part of him out and put it into her. And then built an entirely new person out of that thing. Now, we don't know if that is the case. But we do know that Adam in himself did not reflect the fullness of God. And only when Eve was made from him that now God said, it is good. And so, actually, you've got these two together. And in Genesis 1.27, we read, could you put that up, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you've got this concept of man here being male and female created as mankind. And they together become the image of God. Which means, if you look at me as a man, you can learn some things about what God is like. But if you look at a woman you'll learn other things about him that I could never show you. Together we reflect the image of God. And so the Bible even says that, and to give you an idea of the holiness of sexuality, in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16, the Bible speaks about a man having sex with a prostitute. And he says, don't you know that when the two come together like that, they become one flesh. In fact, Adam said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother's house. And cleave to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Which means when man and woman come together in marriage, in intimacy, you reflect now one new person. We're no longer two. We become one. One flesh. In other words, MC is now seen individual, separate from me. But she's also in some ways part of me. And I'm part of her. We joined. We become one flesh. And so if you sleep with a prostitute, don't you understand that you are making yourself one flesh with someone who's not yours to do that with? You join yourself to them. Pick up demons from them. Their baggage becomes your baggage because you join and cleave to them. Does this make sense? (laughs) So... And I, I was just thinking about how women reflect God. And this is not just moms, but it's women. You know the word for, for, for uh, she, she'll be Adam's helper. Literally the word speaks about one who supports and stands alongside. Generally ladies are incredibly supportive. Have you noticed, I'll tell you a story, I was, um, how men are not supportive sometimes. And women naturally are. I was on the Isle of Man um, a few years ago and I had very, very bad flu. 
And uh, like I was on serious medication and I was struggling. But the, one day they said, let's go out and we're going to ride segways, which are these little things. They're like two wheels and you stand on them and you lean forward and they go forward. And you... So typically with men, they were all just guys there, we start racing. <laughs> so we're going, and I mean, they're probably going about 35 k's an hour. That's about as fast as they'd go. It's England, so they're quite careful about you know, hurting yourself and stuff. So anyway, but we're going for it, going for it. And at one point, because of my medication and my flu, I don't know how this happened. First time it ever happened to me. But I literally was trying to get this thing to go faster and faster and faster. And I somehow, I had a short circuit, and I fainted for the first time in my life. So I'm on the Segway, and the next minute I remember everything going black, and I'm on the ground. I, I didn't know I was on the ground, but I woke up on the ground. And I woke up. Will Marie had jumped off his Segway, and he was standing next to me. Oh, you're right, you're right. And all the other guys were, like, taking photos. Like, <laughs> like just no support. Like, guys, like, <laughs> wanted to post it everywhere, you know. Now, let me say this. If that was a bunch of ladies on Segways, and one of them had to fall down like that, what would ladies do? Are you all right? Are you all right? And they'd be totally worrying about the person. It's quite difficult to be a man because sometimes a lady just wants, she kind of thinks that she's supportive, so a guy will be supportive. So, like, often you'll find this in your communication with your wife when you're married. Like, if MZ comes to me and she's, she wants to share about something she's going through, She'll start, and ladies can take a long time to tell a story. It's just something that ladies do. Guys kind of get to the point. So she'll start this long story, and as I'm listening to her, she's telling me about her situation and how she's feeling, and I naturally, as a guy, I want to fix it. I want to find my way out of this. I want to, you know, I don't want to stay in this hole with you. Let's get out of this hole. I want to just, so she starts telling me the story, and, and she's just wanting me to go, oh, my baby, that's terrible. Did you feel like this? And just sit there with her and listen to her. He was, don't listen, just listen. And I'm just, I'm trying to give her an answer. Like, let's do, do this. Or, and she's like, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Just, just support me. <laughs> just listen to me. And I, I feel like the more she does that, I just start to get more and more depressed. Eventually, I'm in the hole with her because I don't want to get in that hole with you. Men naturally want to get us out of the hole. And she just wants support because she understands support. She's, she can't understand. Why don't you just listen? Why can't you just hear me out and just, does this make sense to the married folk? So as men, we have to learn to do that because we have to love our wives as our own bodies. But, but the, the reality is it doesn't come naturally to guys. Please don't hold it against us. We're just made differently. But then as a, don't use it as an excuse. Love your wife. And that means sometimes just listen and nod. <laughs> but we are different we are naturally different in these matters ladies are often more sensitive than men are they're conscious of things that men are just not not even aware of it's because god made you that way sometimes ladies are more emotional than men are and that's not a bad thing because god has emotion. Ladies are more expressive. Have you ever visited a bachelor's house? It's basically like, it's just livable. Go visit a bachelorette's house, and it's beautiful. She's got paintings up, flowers. It's like everything is just beautiful. It just doesn't happen with us. It's just like... Ladies, ladies carry a natural submission. But sometimes men struggle with. They carry a humility often. 
that men, men and their egos are, and ladies are just quite often comfortable to just not win or They naturally nurture and care. And ladies are beautiful. The one thing in, in all creation, the males in everything in the animal world are more beautiful than the females in everything in the animal world. But in humanity, women are beautiful in a way that men can't be. God made you like that. And uh, it's incredible when God, we come to God, you realize that only a man and a woman together can reflect properly what God is like and so in some ways as a woman your role is to find who am I and how do I through myself reflect glory to God being who he made me to be how do I be a fully woman and what does that mean from God's not from the world tells me what does it mean from God's perspective and so God begins to reveal himself and in some ways we learn about God through moms when they get this right so I want to say, let's dig into God. I've been going about half hour, so I've got a few more minutes. But in Isaiah 66, verse 13, God begins to reveal himself through the lens of a mom. He says this, as a mother comforts a child, not as a dad, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. God says this, a woman can sometimes show comfort that a man just can't. Do you remember when you were growing up, you're riding a bicycle down the road or whatever it was, your skateboard, roller skates or whatever it was, and you bit the tar hard. You hit the ground, you rolled, you felt the gravel breaking in, your skin breaking. What is the next thing out of your mouth? Mommy! Not daddy. Daddy, come on, it's not that bad. You know, <laughs> just get back on the horse. Mom, mom, you run to mom. Mom is, oh, and she holds you and she comforts you and she consoles you. And you know, the, the amazing word, the, the word here for comfort in the Hebrew, it speaks of hold, it literally bring, bring you distress from your sorrow. Or to hold you until the circumstance changes. The word has actually got repentance in it. She will hold you until the circumstance changes. Dad's just like, oh, it's not that bad. Mom is like, I'll just comfort you. As a child, that's what you want. She reflects what God is like. In that. It's something that she brings to the table that a man just doesn't naturally do. And the cool thing about God is, he says, yeah, even as a mother comforts her child, so, like, like a mom, I'll be like that because she's reflecting me. And I will comfort you, I will hold you until your circumstance changes. Sometimes with God, you run to him, and like a mom, he just holds you. It's okay. She cares and trains us. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to 8, Paul's writing here about his work into the church. And he says, just as nursing, a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. The definition of caring, the definition of nurturing and nursing is a mother. And Paul says, we try to be like a mom. But actually, the picture here is mom. Moms naturally nurture and care in a way that dads just don't. I imagine, in some ways, they're the standard of love and care in the family and in the church. Uh, I heard a story in, in, there was just a big shooting in Texas. I don't know if you saw it. I'm sure everyone's aware of it. But in 2019, there was a shooting in El Paso, which I think is also in Texas, actually. And 20 children were killed. 
sorry, 20 people were killed in a Walmart, which is the equivalent of like a checkers. It's like a shopping mall in America. And one couple that morning that died, uh, a guy called Andre and his wife's name was Jordan and Kondo. They just dropped their eldest daughter off a cheerleading practice. And they had a, I think it was a two-month-old baby son. And they went to the shops to buy stuff for school for their daughter at Walmart. And they were in Walmart. guy came in with an automatic weapon and opened up. And they were, the, both of them were killed in that specific shooting. When the police came, they found her lying over her child, riddled with machine gun bullets. But actually, she put herself between the bullets and her child. So the child lived, and she gave her life willingly to protect what she loved. She just naturally just was a mom. And then God says this in Isaiah 49, verse 15 to 16. And I want us to hear this. God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I won't forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. In other words, you look at that mom and you think, wow. And he says, even when a mom is out of it, she can't anymore. I will still be there. I will still have compassion on you. I will still comfort and care for and nurture you. And I love that picture. See, I've engraved you in my hands. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament written about nearly 800 years before Jesus came, about the crucifixion, that he would literally be engraved, that we'd be engraved in his hands, and that he would ultimately come like a nursing mother and would die like he would. He would give his life protect what he loved for God so loved the world God so loved you and so we see actually what God is like through this mom that he willingly gave himself like a mother would and even beyond where a mother would that is how he is towards us I love this and listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15 3 Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures in Galatians 1 4 Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. This picture of God coming and giving himself. The other thing a mom does is she rears and raises us. In Ezekiel 19 verse 2, God speaking about a lioness or a female lion. He says, what a lioness was your mother among the lions. He's using a figure of speech to talk about. Actually, yeah, yeah. she lay down among the young lions and reared her cubs. One of the things that moms are called to do is to actually, like a lioness, be among, and often as moms that want kids in the bed, dads want to sleep. But, but she rears and trains them. One of the primary things that mothers will do in a way that a father won't do is raise up children. It's actually part of your calling. You fall pregnant. Is you supposed to be the one primarily who rears and trains them? And the word for rear and train literally means to construct or to make whole or shape. You call to shape a life. And in Isaiah 54 verse 13, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. God here speaks like a mother and he says, I will shape you and construct you. I will build you up. And like a mother would do that for you. So I will shape you and mold you. And hearing your stories coming up here about things that you're dealing with. See, that's God coming like a mother. Shaping and molding you. Constructing you. And making you whole. 
it's such a sacred thing to be a mom that the Bible says if we don't honor them, it's, it will, we won't enjoy long life on the earth because they reflect God to us. And the amazing thing about all of this is this. I know some of you may never be moms because the Bible says some of you might be eunuchs for the kingdom. Some of you might never marry. It's not about being a mom physically that's the most important thing. But it is about reflecting who God made you to be as a woman. And within the community of faith, 1 Timothy 5 verse 1 to 2, we learn something about us. Could you put it up for me? Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. In the community of faith, older women become mothers. And that's a beautiful thing. I was thinking back on my own Christian walk. I remember getting born again, and uh, there was a, a lady, in, in two ladies actually specifically, that were very influential in my life. One was called Eleanor Ware. Man, we just, she, had, she had kids, and we just ended up hanging out at her house. And she used to mother us. She would often feed us and look after us. And we kind of grew up in the community of faith in her home. And she was the one who taught me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She was the one who taught me how to speak in tongues for the first time. She was the one who taught me how to prophesy. For the first time. Just sitting in her house, she would teach us these things. And she became like a mother to me and shaped and constructed my early belief. In the community of faith, older women are here to instruct the younger and actually to be like a mom. That actually when people come in these doors, and I heard some of you even saying it about from the camp, this is family. This is family. And that means, and I often think about this. You know, if you're a mom, it's funny, and grandmoms are even worse. You're a mom. If you're, actually, I met two parents here this morning who are here with their kids. <laughs> One said this, just any opportunity to be near our son. <laughs> Why? Why? Because... I mean, when they're coming around, as a parent, your heart's like, yes. And when they have grandkids, it's even better. It's just like, yes. But you see, the thing is this. There are children coming through these doors all the time that don't know what a mom and a dad is because they grew up in broken homes and broken families with bad reflections of this. And I would ask each of us, when we do come, we don't just come late and leave early. We come to mother. Because each one that we touch, we reveal to them what a mother is really like. What a father is really like. And so within the community of faith, we learn about mothers. Not from our natural mothers. But from the moms that God has put within the community of faith. And as they come and they love us and they care for us, console us and hold us, they reflect God to us. And we learn about him through them. You're called as a woman to reflect something of the glory of God. And there's such an attack on that. But you call to a noble, beautiful thing. You reflect something of God that we could never do as men. I don't want what we have. You call to something different. And the Bible says, you know, in the light of eternity, I don't even know if there are males and females once we die. There's no marriage. But for now, God's made you to do something, to reflect Him to the world around you. And so be women, be moms, be what God made you to be. And stay within the bounds. Because actually your bounds are beautiful. They're pleasant and they're glorious. And they reflect God to a generation that needs to know that side of him. And only you can reflect that.
And so I feel like I want to close this in prayer. And I, I know that there's such an onslaught. Some of the things I've said to probably get me in jail nowadays. Because we've lost the value and the beauty of these things. But these are things that are beautiful because God says they are. This is what truth really is. And when we find his ways, we find life. And so I wonder if you'd close your eyes with me and just bow your heads a bit. And then I want to pray for a few groups of people this morning. Just the first one is this. There might be somebody here today that maybe you came as friends or family. or Maybe you just decided to come to church this morning and heard about us. But you've come in and you don't actually know God like a father. You don't know him like a mother. You don't know what it is to belong in his family. The Bible says, and God actually, we read it earlier, that, uh, we, well, the Bible says this, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. And the consequence of those things is death. But God so loved you and me that he came to save us. We heard a story of a mom who literally gave her life to defend her two-month-old son. And God says, even if a mother forgets you, I will not forget you. God loves you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus it was God dying on a cross to save you so that the consequence of your actions would not be carried by you, but that he would pay the price in full. And if you're here today and you've never believed that, you've never understood that, you've never come into his family and said, forgive me and thank you, and I want to come into your family, I want to learn what you like, I want to serve you, and I want my life to come into the order that you've made it to be. Then right now with every head bowed, I want to ask you to just respond to him and say, God, please, would you accept me and your family? Please, would you receive me as your child? I want to come in. I want to live. And I know you have the words of life. There's someone here today. Would you just respond by lifting your hand? I won't embarrass you. I just don't want to see where you are. And just say, yeah, that's me. I need to come into this thing called the kingdom of God, the family of God. Anyone this morning? And I want to pray those of you that are believers, (laughs) I want to pray for you this morning that God would keep you strong in your faith, that you wouldn't be corrupted by 666, but that you would stand firm to the words of God, and that you'd play the role that God's called you to play, that you'd be what God made you to be, and that you'd find in losing yourself that you find yourself in Him. I want to ask I want to ask the woman here to be woman. I want to ask you to do it in Jesus' name that we can see what he's like. I want to ask you to reflect him well to us. Because even some of the men in this place need to learn what he is like through your life, through your love, through your gentleness, your caring. I want to ask you to come to see this place as a family, not just a building or a place you go to, but a place where you would care for those that God has placed within the family, that you'd be a mom to them, and that you'd reflect God to them, even as you care for them and take an interest in them, like a mother takes interest in us as children. That Sundays and times together would be for you. I'm reflecting God in everything that I do. I want to pray for you. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you, and I'm going to pray specifically for the ladies. Would you commit to the Lord in these matters? And if you would, and say, Lord, yes, I want to reflect you well as a woman. I want to give myself to this. I want to show the world what you like. I want my light to shine so that when they see me, they learn about you. 
And if that is you, would you just stand with me as an outward commitment of something inside that you want to reflect well? Lord, I want to thank you for each one that you've made here in your image and in your likeness. You said when they were finished, when woman was made, now it is good. Now, now, now the world will see what you like. Father, I want to thank you for each one that's standing. And I pray right now by your spirit that you would show them what you like. Show them what it is to reflect the side of you, God. Give them courage and grace and strength to love, to nurture, and to care, and to be moms and, and daughters in this house. That each one would reflect what it is to reflect God as a woman. And that we would not be corrupted as a church and as a people, but that we would marvel that we are made in your image and in your likeness, made to bring you glory. And Father, I want to thank you that the way you see glory is so different from the way we see glory sometimes. You see glory in a little woman who give a few cents that no one notices. You see glory in someone giving a glass of water to one of these little ones of yours. You see glory in the humble and the weak. Well, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I want to thank you that for this part of their lives, these ladies are called to reflect you within the bounds. I want to thank you that the Bible says on that last day, when you say, well done, that they will rule and reign with you forever. <laughs> that they will be a reflection of you. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, would you help us? And then for the men here, God, I pray you'd help us to marvel at wool man. To marvel at what you've done here. I pray also for those of us, men and women here, God, that haven't kept ourselves sexually pure. Father, we've given away something that is beautiful and sacred. I want to ask in this moment, Lord, that you would come and cleanse and heal our brokenness. Come and comfort us, Lord. Come and fix us inside until the pain and the brokenness goes away. Father, we've all messed up our lives. We've all fallen short of your glory. And we know the consequence is death. But we see Jesus who died on a cross in our place, paying the price for every single one of us, engraving us on your hands, Lord, because of your great love and healing the parts in us that are broken, constructing us and making us whole again. Heal the parts in us that we've given away. Make us whole again, Lord, that we would one day, as though we were perfect, because that's how you see us, be able to give ourselves, if you give us in marriage, and that we would remain faithful and true with our one flesh partner till we stand before you on that last day, Lord. Thank you for healing. Thank you for forgiveness. I, I heard a story of a friend of ours who had been very sexually immoral before she was a Christian and gave her life to the Lord, and she was just so cut up when she began to realize what she had done. And years later, she asked the Lord to just heal her and forgive her. And years later, she got married. And it was an amazing thing. She came out, coming back from honeymoon. And I remember her telling us, the Lord even gave me back Haman. The part that should really be the thing that the covenant is made with in marriage. The Lord restored that even physically. She was fully healed and fully made whole. And been amazingly married for many years. Her deacons in one of our congregations. 
God heals broken things. But I want to call you to, again, keep yourselves holy. Keep that part of yourself. Keep yourself in the Lord. For he made you one person. And as you come together with that one person, you reflect him as one flesh. Amen? Amen. Who's going to? Yeah, come on.